With the last chapter we studied in chapter 13, we studied uh, and focused on the fact that love is this goal that we are seeking. It is the purpose and the motivation in all that we do. And if love is not the foundation of what we say and what we do, then all the things that we do are meaningless. Everything that we have and everything that we do is, is completely unfruitful if love is not the purpose and the product of what we do. And so you need to keep that in mind as we go into this next chapter, because the chapters are really completely irrelevant. They're just there to help us bookmark where things are. But as we go into these next paragraphs, you need to keep that in mind. Because you'll be able it, what will be revealed to you is, is what's happening in the Corinthian church. They're becoming boastful and independent. They're taking these spiritual gifts that they've been given, and they're abusing them for their own purposes. Not building each other up as, they, as we were instructed in chapter 12, but kind of building themselves up in this way that's independent of other people because they are, they're speaking in tongues without interpretation. They are demonstrating and, and showing and exercising these spiritual gifts with no accountability. And so let's, let's look at what we have going on here. It piggybacks on chapter, chapter 13 with its opening statement, and two imperatives are given in the very first sentence. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, Follow the way of love, and eagerly desire the gifts of, of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now let me take a break here. We are to follow the way of love, that which we learned about in chapter 13, and to desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. What's interesting is that this chapter is not about prophecy. This chapter is about speaking in tongues primarily. It's, it's about order in worship. It's about the way that those gifts are supposed to be exercised. Now we know that the source of love in our lives, both received and expressed, is the work of the Holy Spirit, God working through us. The gifts, we didn't choose them. They don't belong to us in the sense that, that we create them. God gives them and bestows upon them as he chooses. We learned about that in, in 1 Corinthians. But these gifts, these are the supernatural work of God done in us and through us. As such, these spiritual gifts are not ours to control or distribute to claim right or credit to. Because the purpose of the spiritual gifts is to build up the? Is to build up the church, to build up the body of Christ, to be uh, beneficial to all. They're not something that you can just kind of hoard to yourself and kind of show how spiritual or how awesome that you are. No, actually, they, they demonstrate these, these miracles that cannot be done without God. Meaning that if we take credit for them, or if it's us that ends up in the spotlight because of these gifts, then something's wrong there. Paul proceeds to compare tongues to prophecy, and he beats a dead horse into the ground, and then some more. So that the church will understand. 
He says this, if we can't understand it, then it can't build us up. This is a big point he's getting to us. If we can't understand it, it can't build us up. And thus its purpose is lost. And if the purpose of spiritual gifts is to build us up, then uninterpreted tongues have no value to the group. In fact, if no one understands what is being said, it can hurt the people of the church and hurt the witness of the church to the world. So tongues are good and God-given. And when we say tongues, you should understand languages. They are good and God-given, but must be understood. But above that, prophecy is better because everyone has a chance to understand. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? Like tongues are not just language like I learned up, I, I grew up learning French or something like that. And I have, I have this ability to speak French and English, which I don't, all right? The only other language I can speak is mocking German, right? Like this, I don't speak any other languages. What would be a miracle is if tomorrow I was able to speak German and there happened to be Brigitte here, okay? And she speaks German and would understand what was being said. Who would that be a miracle to? Would that be a miracle to me? That would be a miracle to, to her, right? And so we need to understand that that the speaking in tongues is not something that, that we create or that we can kind of conjure up. It's something that God is doing through us for everyone. But prophecy is better because everyone has a chance to understand. If you went to public school, then you, then you know this important fact. On your birthday, you have the potential for two birthday celebrations. One at home where you have a party and there's cake and everybody cuts it and all that kind of stuff. And the second one is at school. Because you get to bring cupcakes to school. But what's the rule? No. That's the new dumb rule. But what's the rule? There has to be enough for everybody. Right? Like, on your birthday, you don't get to be that little turd that gets to go over in the corner and be like, hey, it's my birthday, and then they just eat cake and all the rest of the class has to watch. No, you have to bring enough for everybody. You don't just get to bring one cupcake. Not just one for you or just the people that you liked. You had to bring enough for everyone to share. If you brought just one, you could potentially be satisfied. You might be feeling good if you brought one cupcake, but everybody else would be starving. And the purpose of a party is to party together. Multiple people celebrating. So you had to bring one for everyone to enjoy. And all the kids in the class got to benefit from your birthday. Paul's going to make the point that tongues without interpretation is a car without gas, a plate without food, a book without words or pictures. Other people can't be fed by it. It doesn't bring them closer to God. And no one understands its meaning. It's alienating to them. Not only that, but the, the purpose is just sucked out of it. 
Nora's got this little toy that reacts and speaks to you. It's like this little Furby thing. And no, it doesn't spy on you. That's what your cell phone's for. Anyway, it can sing and it can dance and, it re and react when you, when you pet it or when you feed it or when you sing to it, but only if it has batteries. Without batteries, it just sits there. doesn't do a whole lot. It doesn't fulfill the purpose that the toy maker made for it. Only when it has batteries do you experience the fun that the designer planned. Let's look at verse 2. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to... I know I kind of lied. You do have to kind of read a little bit. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather you have prophecy. Is Paul saying that tongues is worthless? No. But without interpretation, it is to the church. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. So what can we conclude? We can conclude that speaking in tongues is a form of the very first. Mm, not quite. Number two, Verse 2 says, The one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. What is that called? That's called prayer. Like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't pray to you. You hear me pray, but I'm speaking to God. That is the definition of prayer, speaking to God. And so speaking in tongues is prayer. Speaking in tongues is? Okay. It's a form of prayer because the person is not speaking to people but to God. It builds the speakers up, or the speaker up, but the others do not benefit from it. Prophecy, on the other hand, is speaking to people, the church, building them up, which results in them being stronger and encouraged and comforted in the Lord. Verse 5 strikes the heart of the cessationist view. Does anybody know what a cessationist, the cessationist view is? It's that all of these gifts have ceased, that their purpose is done and has been complete way back in history, and that they have no place, exercise, or function in the modern day. But verse 5 kind of strikes at the heart of that. With the Apostle Paul's desire that all of us would speak in tongues, but ultimately he would rather we prophesy. And throughout this section, we should understand that prophecy is of greater value than verbal, spiritual prayer, because prophecy can be understood by more than just the speaker and God. Now, to get together with the references in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and in Acts chapter 2, we have a clear view of what speaking in tongues actually is. A Holy Spirit-directed, unlearned, human or heavenly verbal language 
in which a person speaks or prays to God. A Holy Spirit-directed, unlearned, human, or heavenly verbal language in which a person speaks or prays to God. Let's look at Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Go ahead and flip on over. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. This is in the New Testament here. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. This is a result of when the Holy Spirit is given, the promised Holy Spirit, Jesus says, I'm going to leave, another's going to come. He's not just going to be with you, he's going to be in you. This is the Holy Spirit he's speaking about. I'll read a little bit further back. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. All right, and then if you jump down to verse 11, um, we can see the reaction of the crowd. I'll, I'll stop at verse, actually, let me just continue. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? That means like uneducated backwoods rednecks. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Perinthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Parisia, Philanthia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them, saying they've had too much wine. They're drunk. They're, they're just smashed. But this gift of speaking in tongues comes when the Holy Spirit is given to the apostles and is coupled with the gospel. It is a sign to them. This miracle that you're hearing is a sign. Like, the gospel is the truth and you can confirm that not only by the truth, but by the presence of these signs that are going with it. This was a miraculous sign that accompanied the message of the gospel, confirming its source to those who heard it. The people of the Corinthian church, though, must have misunderstood the role of tongues, because Paul goes on to say, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, this is verse 6 now I'm at, Now, brothers, yeah, we've got to be smart and put another bookmark on our main text there. <clears throat> now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? Unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as 
the pipe or harp. How will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? What does that mean? That means... Is that a song? Yeah. I think we can... Hey, Greg, sit down. Is that a song? No. No. That's not a song. There is no intelligent design behind the randomness of what's happening here. This is just a, a collection of notes with no purpose and no meaning. It's just sound. It's like just vibrations. It has, has no value to it. How will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. Like, even if somebody spoke pig Latin, right? Like, it still has some meaning behind it. There's lots of languages in the world. None of them are without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. That feeling of being alienated. Anybody ever been to another country before and not been able to speak the language? How did that make you feel? Did you feel like you just fit in like a, like a glove? No. You just, even if you could blend in physically, you know mentally. You just, you can, you're just disassociated with these people because you cannot speak their language. It makes you feel like an outsider. It, by its very nature, excludes you and segregates you because you do not understand the language. But when somebody interpreted that language to you, how did you feel? You felt included. You, you felt comfort. I mean, the fact that somebody took the time to tell you what was being said, like, it's almost like a whole revelation. Now, we're not just talking about the non-supernatural interpretation of something who, somebody who speaks French and who they naturally speak French, and, and now somebody else comes along and and they know French as well, and English, and they can trans... That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something supernatural. And ladies and gentlemen, if you don't believe in the supernatural, that is, the working of God, then how can you believe in the resurrection? How can you believe that God has the power to save you for eternal life? How can you believe that God has the power to heal to direct your life. God is supernatural by his very nature. And so is the spirit that's empowering the gifts of the spirit. So it is with you, since you are eager for the gifts of the spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. So if this is you, if this is you and, you and you know personally that you have the gift of tongues or you believe personally that you have the gift of tongues, what should you do? You should pray that you may interpret your prayer that you said to God so that everyone benefits. 
For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. What does that mean? That means you're not checked out. That means that both your spirit and your mind are engaged. That's kind of the opposite of people's view of things that are, that are spiritual. But Paul is telling us, be engaged with your spirit and be engaged with your mind. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving so they don't know what you're saying? That's like the same feeling when you walk into a room and they're like, right, Kyle? You're like, uh... Sure. You know, you, you have no idea what it is, what the conversation was about or what you just agreed to. How can you enjoy a prayer of thanksgiving if you don't understand it? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. You know, this flies in the face of some of the teachings surrounding speaking in tongues or speaking supernatural a language supernaturally. Where people are encouraged to simply make sounds or to babble. You can find huge articles online of people claiming they can teach you how to speak in tongues. And they'll say things like, just, make, just start making noises or just start making things up. And, and eventually, you, you know, something will feel right and it'll just come into line and then, and then it'll all uh, come together as... A language that that only you know, and that's completely unique to you, and um, and that's how you speak in tongues. And if that doesn't work, you can be around other people who speak in tongues, and you can learn to speak in tongues from them speaking in tongues. But in all of these descriptions, you're the one that's creating this. This is something that is supernaturally given. If we look at Acts, what happens? They receive the Holy Spirit, and they spend a lot of time practicing before they speak in tongues? No. They, they learn from somebody else? No. They supernaturally know a language, and not just one language, but the group of them is, is speaking languages from all over the world, all simultaneously. That's a miracle. So some people encourage just to babble or make sounds, but scriptural evidence dictates that speaking in tongues is not a free-form, loosey-goosey collection of noises. It has meaning and depth because it is a language. Paul piles on the analogies, teaching that tongues have both a purpose and a message. Now, whether we understand them or not does not preclude the fact that something is being said. Just because I don't understand Ukrainian doesn't mean that they're speaking gibberish. That's simply my perspective because I don't understand the language. Remember, this is a language, just not one that has been learned by the speaker. It's one supernaturally given. This is what makes it a supernatural miracle and sign. 
A sign of what? Well, in the records of Acts, we see it was a sign that was presented at Pentecost and to other people, Gentiles who had received the Holy Spirit. But even still, speaking in tongues is not the exclusive sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. These people believed, and here's the real miracle. They believed and they prayed to God. The miracle that happened was the redeemed soul. The miracle that happened is that they were born again. They put their faith in Christ and so were saved, given new life. Out of that flowed the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Out of that flowed a spiritual gift, which was speaking in tongues. So it wasn't this one key thing, this, this, this thing that was missing this indicator that they had received the Holy Spirit that was exclusive to that. Some people, some people believe or think that way, that if you don't speak in tongues, then you don't have the Holy Spirit because you haven't presented this gift. But as we learned in previous chapters, you don't choose your gift. God chooses your gift for you. And we don't all have the same gift. We all have been given different ones. Not ones that we produce, but that God produces in us. Ephesians 1, 13-14 says, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And by the way, if, if, if you're maybe struggling with your faith, if you need some encouragement, read, the, read Ephesians. Read the first few chapters of Ephesians. It's really awesome. Let me read that again. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to, to the praise of his glory. God chose you, and you believed in his Son. Your salvation is not dependent on you. Your salvation is dependent on his saving grace. That you just simply receive. Belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and faith in him as your Lord and Savior is the true marker of those born again by the Spirit of God. Galatians 5, 22 through 24 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control. How is the gift of tongues exercised with self-control? The gift of tongues is exercised with self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Repentance, faith, love, conviction, hope. I would say these are the indicators of a life saved by grace. Let me read that list again. Repentance, faith, love, conviction, hope. I would say those are the indicators of a life saved by grace. 
So we should be very cautious to not push people to do something that, that God hasn't created in them. I'm speaking about speaking in tongues. But to be gentle with them and to allow God to work his miracles in them and through them. I was thinking about this whole speaking in tongues thing, and it's kind of interesting because just like prayer, right, this is the Holy Spirit, God, within them, leading that person to pray to the Father, who is God. And that is, and that is prayer. The Holy Spirit prompts us and, and leads us to pray. So again, miraculously speaking in another language doesn't have a monopoly on indicating salvation. A life of supernatural faith in Jesus is that indication. Additionally, don't be mistaken, this is not some wacky verbal form of automatic writing. Does anybody know what that is? It's where you just stick a pen to paper and just start scribbling away until something maybe meaningful, and then you try to like, oh, I don't, maybe that's a dog, I don't know. That's automatic writing. It's like this other spiritual practice where you try to give yourself over to some kind of spiritual force to just put something on paper. Exactly what spiritual force are you giving yourself to? Paul instructs us to be engaged with our spirit and with our mind. This is not some profound accident. It's a purposeful prayer in a language the speaker doesn't understand. So let that challenge you. Submit yourself to God rather than your own expectations. Is there such a thing as a personal prayer language? That is a language that's only unique between you and God. I think about this. I'm not answering that question. I'm just saying think about that. There's hundreds and thousands of languages in the world. I mean, there's the possibility for, for more than one angelic language. But is the language that is spoken in tongues, is, is that only reserved for you? Or do others, others who spoke in tongues speak a similar language? Just a question. Is there scriptural evidence that we each have our own personal prayer language? My favorite part here is Paul's resolve. I will speak with my spirit and with my mind. I will sing with my spirit and with my, and with my mind. He is engaged, not disconnection, not disconnected. He is not channeling or chanting or mumbling or just taking things wherever they will go. He is intentionally praying. It just happens to be in another language he doesn't know. How would it make you feel if you sat down at the dinner table or agreed to pray together before bed and a person and the person leading or speaking was uttering something you couldn't understand? It would make you feel disconnected from them. It wouldn't make you feel closer to God. You wouldn't be able to join them and say amen to their prayer. 
Understand this. God hears and understands even unspoken prayer. Like you don't have to physically say it for, for, to ask God to do it. God knows our heart and our mind. It's often that we either don't know what to pray for or can't put it into words. God knows our heart. He knows our spirit. He knows our mind. Nothing escapes his knowledge of us. So even when it applies to prayer, don't think you have to put it in a certain structure or say certain things. It's not a magic spell or some kind of incantation. You're simply asking your Father. You're simply giving thanks to your Father. That's what, that's what prayer is. So God understands and hears even unspoken prayer. The groaning of the Spirit, or the sigh, is another way to translate it, the sigh. Don't even know what to pray. He understands English and French and Taiwanese and Mandarin and Latvian and Arabic. God understands Prayers are not hindered by language, but instead by the rejection of his word, by the rejection of his will, or as husbands failing to live with their wives in an understanding and honoring way as equal recipients of salvation. Look at it. So you can see how essential it is to exercise the gift of tongues correctly. Otherwise, you're alienating people. Have I beat this dead horse too? Maybe. I mean, I, he did it. I got to do it. Remember, Paul in no way precludes or forbids speaking in tongues, either human or angelic, but demands that there always be interpretation. Now, you might conclude just to keep the gift to yourself. In the case of having no one to translate the meaning, that would be correct. But the greatest purpose of spiritual gifts is to glorify God by building up the church in love for the greater good of all believers. So then what use is it to relinquish this gift exclusively to the closet? What I'm saying is, is it shouldn't be exclusively to the closet. We should intently pray for interpretation, pray for understanding. Tongues do not fulfill their greatest purpose if no one can listen to them. Those cupcakes are meant for everyone. Verse 18 says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, Paul says. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue or in a, a language no one understands. So focus your desire and your efforts not to speak in languages not understood and toward the greater gift of prophecy. Verse 20 says, Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, With other tongues and through the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. What is that a reference to? It's, a, it's an Old Testament reference to Isaiah, a prophecy given to them 
that they're not listening to me, so now I'm going to have four invaders come in, and they're going to whoop your butt and drag you away. And even still, like, they're not going to listen to me. God decided to use foreign attackers to relay a message of his judgment to his people, and even still they ignored it. So don't be ignorant. Be innocent and mature. People don't come to salvation by speaking of a misunderstood language. People come to salvation only one way, when they understand and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the one who died in their place for their sin. Sin they honestly understood that they could never escape without the supernatural intervention of God. And so in repentance, they rejected their life of sin and accepted the exchange of Jesus' life for theirs. Verse 22 says, Tongues then are not a sign, are, excuse me, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Will they not say that you are crazy? Anybody ever been into a place like that before? Got two hands up. Because it was that crazy. But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, or accountability to all, or convicted by all. As the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. They're being led to conviction. They're being led to the truth by prophecy. And so they come to God and are not pushed away by the crazy. Paul, once again, points to prophecy as the greater miracle, one with the power not only to strengthen and encourage the church, but also to convict both the unbeliever and the uninformed of their sin, leading them to worship God. So for all of us, we should pray that God would give wisdom and understanding to us, that God would use us for his will, empowering us with the work of the Holy Spirit to build each other up in love. If speaking in tongues is a gift you have been given, then pray that God would complement that gift with the gift of interpretation, either through you or another person. And that pray that selfishness and pride and independence would not take hold and rob you of the fruit of the gift you were given, but that he would provide completeness to it. First point again, follow the way of love. Second, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Third, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Fourth, if speaking in tongues is a gift you've been given, then pray to interpret. Five, listen to this one. Don't be ignorant, but be innocent and mature. If the miracle of tongues still seems scary, remember not to quench the spirit. 
or to forbid speaking in tongues. Instead, pray for understanding and maturity. Understanding that God is using his people to accomplish his purpose, to bring the love of God to the people of the world. Just because we are yet to understand doesn't mean we should fear it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 for that. Through Jesus Christ, God in his merciful love was made known. By his power over death, his resurrection, he proved to be God and offered to all who come to him to be saved from darkness and death and brought to life. Saved to be his people, to enjoy his love forever, to be used by him for his glory and for his grace and love towards us as we will forever praise him in song and in spirit, all nations, all languages, all tongues, forever and ever. Now, prophecy will be the, the next gift for us to investigate and to grow in understanding, and it's a big topic from Old Testament to New Testament, uh, apostles and prophets and the, the whole shebang, right? Like, people write extra big books on the whole thing in addition to the other big book. Um, but we're going to go to this book and see what this book has to say about prophecy as a whole. And so you should expect a few sermons on this large topic, and I expect you to pray for me, okay? <laughs> because I have just been burdened and overwhelmed with this topic, right? Like today, the speaking in tongues thing was like a small car coming my way, and then like the gift of prophecy is like a triple-decker semi-truck, Okay, and so I've been focused on the triple-decker semi-truck coming my way. Um, so expect a, a few sermons and to have your expectations challenged of prophecy as well, because I surely have. Um, let's pray. Lord, won't you give us understanding in all of this? Let us not be ignorant, but, but make us mature, Lord, so that we would submit ourselves to you, to your spirit, Lord. Father, we are, we are those who you have called, who you have claimed to be your own. Father, our faith is solely in you, so encourage us to continue to crucify the flesh, Lord, and to, and to follow in the footsteps of your son, Jesus. Not trying to bring natural explanations to everything, Lord, but, but willing to be surprised by you. Let us rely on you for what we eat and what we drink. Let us be guided in our thoughts. And Lord, let us live this life looking forward to the promises you have in store for us. And Lord, come soon. We pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen.